what's going on everybody thanks for joining me for another episode of the podcast i got beniti he's back here today i know several of you have been talking about him and i've gotten some good feedback from last year uh, a lot of you were asking me to bring him back so i wanted to think of a subject to kind of talk about tonight so that was a zazzle because i've had some emails i've had some questions about a zazzle everybody's asking me like what's the difference between lucifer and a zazzle how do we work with them? How do you really, really work with them? Um, how do you invoke that awareness within yourself? So he's back today. So thanks a lot for being here, man. How you doing? No, I appreciate it. Uh, good good to be here. Thanks for uh, having me back. Appreciate it. Cool, cool. All right. So uh, yeah. anyway, yeah. So on the left-hand path, obviously, you hear Azazel is like a really, really popular name that, that you hear. So like what exactly is the... Like if you can give like a basic overview of the history right. of him, like where he comes from and everything. Okay. So when you talk about like specifically Azazel, there's a couple of things mm -hmm. to keep in mind. Uh, there's different perspectives. Some will chase him or trace him back to Hebrew mysticism. So let me start there real quick and I'll try to be brief. Okay. Um, Azazel basically uh, means the one removed. And you'll see like in Hebrew tradition, uh, they had a tradition where they believed uh, they could, because it, it also ties into the goat, and I'll talk about that in a second. They believed uh, another title that's associated with him is the scapegoat. So they believed that they could do a blood sacrifice, uh, you know, with with the goat that they called a zazzle. And this goat and this blood sacrifice, after it was sacrificed, uh, they believed that the sins could be transferred on. Uh, to this goat, the one removed, uh, mm -hmm. which this is Hebrew mysticism, Hebrew uh, tradition. Um, there's that aspect. Um, but when you go more so into the occult, then you can go back to Enochian literature, right? Where this is the more popular aspect that people are familiar with Azazel, which uh, depending on your perception and understanding of the books of Enoch, you know, obviously it's mm -hmm. considered in mainstream Christianity and religion, that it's not a, an accepted book uh, per se by the Nicene Council and the so-called, you know, biblical scholars that put books together that were, were supposed to be accepted and not. Now, the deep thing is also you should study a little history of who Enoch was, because the interesting thing in the Bible uh, in Genesis, it says Enoch walked and talked uh, and Enoch was. And it doesn't really explain what that means. It's literally saying he was taken up, right, in human form. He didn't taste physical death like we normally would with humans. This parallels there. Mm -hmm. In the book of Enoch, it talks about, in those lost books of Enoch, it talks about uh, a, a character called Azazel. And Azazel basically in those stories was considered a rebellious person who taught the people I hate when they use the term to rebel and sin because that's religious. But basically, he taught the people in those books how to think for themselves, do for themselves. It also talks about how he taught them how to make uh, uh, weapons, uh, to defend themselves, uh, to stand on their own. I'm telling I'm saying all this because we work with Azazel on the occult of the left hand path because everybody takes on the role of Azazel when they make that attempt to walk this path of what we call the path of isolation, the isolated consciousness, because it represents somebody. And there's a lot of parallels too, which I'll, I'll get into as, as you go along. There's a lot of parallels with, um, when you look at Melik Taus, uh, Paimon, 
And I know some people connect it with Lucifer, which is really not. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. There's a similar energy connection there, but it is not the same thing. Um, so Azazel is the one that walks with the initiate when he takes the intent. There's rituals designed about working with Azazel uh, wherein one makes the official intent to walk on the path of the left-hand path of isolation. There's initiation rituals. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about that. So long story short, it depends if you're coming from the more biblical Hebrew mysticism tradition, or if you're going to go a little bit more into the esoteric and the occult, say, uh, back to the times of uh, Enoch. Now, the last thing I want to throw in there, the correlation with Melik Taus, you also, if you really want to go further back to really understand the origins of Azazel, I would look into the traditions and the Al-Jiwa, the black book of the Yazidis which you can find to me more accurate because he was the one that led uh, the rebellion uh, in there. Uh, he's synonymous and synchronized with Melik Taus, the peacock angel, who really is, and this is where the comparisons get connected with Lucifer because uh, there are different manifestations in mask where one can look at it and go, this looks almost like the same thing because Melik Taus, Lucifer, and who they referred to as Iblis, uh, who is, that's the title for, which means rebellious one in Arabic. That's the title uh, for who's, who they would call the devil or Satan in the Quran. So there's a connection. The reason why sometimes they're all grouped together, there's a connection with all of those archetypes. But yeah, go ahead. But I just want to throw that in there. I know well, I jumped yeah. out. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. That's good stuff, though. So, um, okay. So you would say that when a person decides to walk the path, it's like uh, he's used as more of an initiation ritual. So if somebody wanted to kind of uh, just get in and just say, hey, you know, I want to start working work with my shadow in a serious way. I want to start working on this path. Is it is it necessary to work with to kind of um, invoke Azazel first? Like, like, should that be a thing first or? Right. Well, put it this way on this path, there's nothing per se officially necessary and written in stone, but that's a good question. But I would say this in regards to what you just asked. If somebody's looking to take it a step further mm -hmm. uh, to really uh, tap into an energy, a spirit, a demon, or archetype that can guide you down that path, it, I, I think, and let me explain why. Because he represents the rebellious one or the nonconformist part of our nature. Remember, when you read the stories of Azazel, he was ostracized because. Mm -hmm. He was labeled rebellious because he taught the people to think for themselves. So when you read in the stories, any character, whether it's a Zazzle, whether it's a set, uh, we see this history repeating itself. Anybody that speaks out and has their own voice, their own opinion, uh, their own ideas, and wants to take control of their spiritual sovereignty and their, and their personal freedom, they're always labeled as rebellious because they go against the norm. They go against what mainstream says is acceptable and what's not. So I would say, again, because, I, and, and a lot of people, not just me, will tell you this, we don't really per se have, and, and I know that's not the way you meant to word the question, I'm just adding to it, um, but we don't per se have like a lot of other spiritual philosophies, spiritual systems and path. Uh, there's not really guided rules or regulations. So I say that because no, is it mandatory you should? Uh, absolutely not. But I do think if you are a serious uh, pursuer of this path, I don't know how you would not include a Zazzle uh, with your ritual work, especially if you're trying to master yourself. 
And you mentioned shadow work and a Zazzle is a great uh, aspect or archetype to connect with, to uncover the shadow or the hidden self, because that what we call that rebellious part of our nature uh, is critical and important because that's how we get to truly understand ourselves. It's not that it's rebellious in the sense with outsiders would term negative or bad. It's really tapping into not the illusionary self that we're programmed to be from the time of birth and through systems of indoctrination like education, religion, media. Uh, it's to unlock really what's there and, and address and deal with all that stuff, good or bad. Um, okay. So, yes, I, I definitely think it would be a good idea to. Yeah. So it's like it's more it's like it's recommended. Definitely. We definitely know there's no black and whites in this in this work, but uh, it's, it's something that you recommend. OK. I think, I think you got the mute button on, brother. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, um, yeah. So there's no black and whites, but it's just something that you as a as a teacher, as a practice, as a longtime practitioner, something that you would recommend people doing. I guess. Right. Yes. Mo okay. mo most definitely. It would be All a right. very strong powerful suggestion uh because again i think if you're a serious practitioner i i just don't know how you would not include some type of work with a zazzle yes i agree i definitely agree okay now um kind of going back to the sort of hebrew roots for a moment mm -hmm. uh, there was um like a kind of ritual that that the israelites would do uh, with the zazzle right like taking on the sins of the people and village and things like that Correct. Okay. Um, because that title that they give them, the one removed, I mean, it just again, it goes to show you the stupidity of religion. They believed, because a scapegoat, if we know what the word in English scapegoat means, it means using something else outside of yourself, something, an external object uh, to take the responsibility and the burden. And in this case, they believe doing a ritual with the goat, uh, literally, they believe. <laughs> Literally, they believe whatever wrongdoing they did, whatever, whatever, quote unquote, sinning they did, that it was removed via this right. Um, and yes, they did reenact this rights. Uh, and you could actually find, as Azel mentioned in the Bible, um, another good movie, a movie I would suggest that came out years ago that kind of showed uh, how the spirit really works. I mean, there's some Hollywood you know, Hollywood fanaticism to it. Mm -hmm. um, if you remember that movie uh, by, that Denzel Washington did a few years back called Fallen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. yeah. yeah, yeah. There's some yeah. parallels in there. I've just, just a suggestion to listeners. I would yeah. check that out again. Yeah, I saw I saw that that was like on some streaming service recently. I thought about watching. I think it's on YouTube for free too, to watch. Mm -hmm. Check yes. it out, people. If you haven't seen Fallen, it's a great 90s Denzel movie. Watch it. Thanks for the reference. Yep. All right, cool. Um, another question I want to throw throughout you too was um, when it comes to because like what I get a lot of questions from people that are um, dealing with what I call latent Christianity. I didn't invent yes. that term, but yes. people that are trying to kind of wash away from <laughs> correct velocity of it, and uh, some of them will. And I know you have a lot of experience, more more experience in this than I do by far. When people are getting on the path right. that have latent Christianity and they do a little bit of the shadow work, they do. Even not specifically shadow work can be ancestral or whatever, um, mm. and then they they get kind of shocked by something. I was going to ask you: Is Azazel right. one of those energies? Is is he one of those energies that's great for for helping people go through that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah very much so. Because again, it, it, it will help remove uh, a lot of those systems of indoctrination at a cost. See, one thing you have to understand: 
when you make the intent to come on this path, right? We have to understand that word intent, which has root in the word intention, right? And your goal to come on this path, you're basically saying whether it's a Zazzle or a lot of these other infernal, what people would call demons or spirits. And I, I you know, I'm not too crazy about those words either because they've been so, uh, with you know, given a negative uh, connotation based on religion. But you know what I mean when I say that, and the listeners know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, you make the intention to say, look, I'm willing to walk this path and be willing to, for my subconscious mind, and I'm willing to be retaught. I'm willing, when I say reprogramming, right? We hear the word programming. That could be a bad thing because we can get programmed negatively through media. We can get programmed on subliminal levels, uh, you know, multiple facets, like I talked about before through religion, education, social media can be a, 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 you know, like what we're doing here is a good thing because we're using social media you know, as a platform to educate and spread information, but it can also be a bad thing because it's also a platform for an agenda, for people to get their agenda out. And the weak-minded that, you know, absorb these things can get programmed. That's the negative program. So look at that. You're basically saying, in this case, since we're talking about Azazel, if you do an invocation to invoke Azazel, right? Um, you're basically, and I'm using him as an example, but this applies to other spirits. It could be Samael, different masks of Lucifer, you know, whatever it may be. You're basically saying, here I am. I'm willing to be retaught. I'm willing to uncover all hidden aspects of myself. But here's the most important thing. This is where the part where people get shook and are still stuck, as you say, with the residue of uh, Christianity and its effects, per se. Uh, I'm also I'm willing to be uh, taken apart inside out and deal with the change that comes along with it. That's where the struggle comes, because I think people underestimate the level of change they're going to go through emotionally, mentally and spiritually. And then it almost sometimes with some, not all, it scares them back into Christianity. I've had people literally tell me they've done rituals uh, with Azazel and others. And then this is this might sound crazy or funny. They say they heard they heard the voice of Jesus calling them. And I try to tell them, you hit uh, you hit what you call a fork in the road where fear, mm-hmm. anytime fear sets in in the subconscious mind, it's going to go grasp onto something it's comfortable with. Now, it's not that the person didn't hear the voice of Jesus. See, this is where people get confused. It's just the subconscious mind had to connect something back because when fear and panic and anxiety kicks in, if it can't connect to something comfortable, it, it can go off the deep end. Other things can kick in, uh, you know. Uh, mental disorders, split personalities, uh, a whole bunch of other things. But in this case, it can scare literally some people back into more comfortable or safer paths. But long story short, you're basically saying, here I am. I'm willing to go through what I got to go through, learn what I got to learn, uncover all hidden aspects of myself. But most importantly, you must be prepared for the change that comes along with it. And that's where that problem comes into your to your question and your point in the beginning. Thank you for that. I'm kind of wondering too, if if, um, Azazel is such an intense energy because he's connected to Saturn as well. I'm kind of wondering about that. And Saturn's kind of like a um, a kind of a, if I can use the term, a chaotic planet in a sense, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of, yeah. Right. Which is connected to the Satan energy, right? And the Lucifer energy. So you're also uncovering, just so listeners know, 
Is there, and I want to make this clear, is there synchronations with the Lucifer energy that are connected and are very similar? Yes. But when you talk about working with a, a spirit or an energy, they have their own separate output, right? It's not, it's not the same thing in the sense when we're talking about activating uh, the energy of these, uh, if you want to refer to them as archetypes, character types, spirits, or demons. And this is where I think the confusion comes in when people try to put historical timelines on this, right? And I talk about this a lot. They do this for an example too with Lilith, right? Because it's, you gotta be careful as time unfolds, like now, whether it's uh, you take a, a, a spirit or a goddess like Lilith, there's, there's a new agey version of Lilith now. Mm-hmm. There's the one that everybody's so popular with that goes back to Hebrew mysticism. They trace it back again to the Garden of Eden. It goes back even further than that. Then you can go uh, to other grimoires and other cultures that predate the Bible, whether it's ancient Mesopotamia, because there's beings in, that they, uh, you know, uh, uh, synchronized with Lilith in that pantheon, which goes back long, thousands of years prior to Christianity. What I'm, so I'm saying all that to say, not to get into a whole history lesson, I'm saying that to say the mistake is people put time frames on this and it, and it causes confusion because, and I'm not saying don't research, don't study, you can get a general understanding, but it takes away the context of what these spirits of demons represent. And when you get into this back and forth historical about, here's the reality, whether it's this, or if we're, if, we're, if we're debating or discussing Egyptian history, nobody knows the exact day of time. I know people like to get on these platforms and talk about the dynasties of ancient Egypt and they regurgitate <laughs> dates, you know, you know what I'm saying? And they're going from books to day, right? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So my, my, point, my point being is um, in regards to, don't get caught up in, in, the, in the history of it, um, but there is synchronization, and I can see why people say, or some, and I've read books like what you just said earlier, where people say it, they're one and the same, Lucifer uh, and Azazel. Um, in my experience, and I want to put that out there, because there could be somebody out there listening, maybe they have uh, their own personal subjective experiences where they felt, based on that, it was the same. So I, you know, I can't say to them, based on their personal experience, it was or it was not. I can only speak from my experience, my understanding and my research on it. I don't classify them as being exactly the same. And that's based on my experience. And there could be a difference of perspective and opinion on it. And that's fine. If somebody came and said, well, I had this experience and I I beg to differ a little bit. I wouldn't say they were wrong because remember, there's no specific criteria that governs. And I think what causes that is people get too much caught up in the historicity of these things. Um, but it goes back so much further, even as as really in essence, we're dealing with, or I- including ourselves, we're, we're beings of energy. When we go back to our, uh, I'm just using simplistic terms, energy form, uh, vital life force, some call it your ether or your etheric form. Before we took on this, uh, what we see sitting in front of us, um, before, prior to that, there's no time frame for that. I say that to say, in essence, really none of these spirits or demons have a specific time frame because how do you classify energy if you understand what primordial chaos is and if you understand quote unquote creation and then obviously remove the idiocy of the biblical creation stories because it's just anybody can tear that apart <laughs> you know in these days and time. So, so yeah, I, I mean to, to that question, I I I could see 
why why there's that that, that connection yeah. that yeah so sorry yeah. i i always bust out man whenever i hear you talk about the busting the bible apart on your, your channel man. I'm not, i can't help it i'm sorry but i mean it's it, i mean it's a comical book we're adults <laughs> It's like reading fairy tales. You might as well read Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. You know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. But yeah, I, I appreciate your knowledge, man. But like, whenever that comes up, I just kind of, I just, I just have to start kind of laughing a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's crazy. In any case, so I was going to ask you too, though, because um, um, I, I totally agree with you right there. I mean, in my own personal experience, Azazel was a completely separate energy, correct, from, from Lucifer, from any of the other ones. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that we can't like it's easy to get caught up and just get this black and white kind of consciousness when everything is saying no, no, the, this book says this. And I, I correct. Um, and, but I was going to ask you about the symbolism of the the goat with them. Like, why is That's like it. like what does the goat have to do with this? Also? OK, so when you look at the goat and there's a connection there with Baphomet and I'm glad you bring that okay. up because I was going to I was going to tap the Baphomet into this whole thing. All right. All right, because when you look at, if you understand, uh, if you even read any, uh, and I'm speaking in general, not to you, but just speaking openly, if you understand the characteristics or the nature uh, of the goat, right? Even in context with the Baphomet energy, you gotta keep that. Even in context with the Baphomet energy, uh, first of all, a goat, the reason why you see a goat symbolize Baphomet and perched on the earth. A goat likes to be high up, for an example, especially mountain goats. They like to be perched high above so they can see their subjects, right? Um, a goat also, when you look at the goat, um, there's also a naiveness to the goat, right? And this is why goats were used in a lot of animal sacrifices. It embodies intelligence, and it's going to sound almost contradictory and a little weird, and it also naiveness and it also it, they also embody uh, a certain innocence, because if you've ever dealt with a goat, a goat is very inquisitive. It's very curious. And it also is a, in, in, in being intelligent and having those characteristics of being, uh, you know, in a rulership mode, which really represents us. We want to we want to rule our, you know, our lives. We want to rule our spiritual sovereignty. We want to be in charge. But. As with everyday life, there's things that fall on our path that can make us susceptible to shit that can go wrong. I mean, excuse my language, but shit that can go wrong. Mm -hmm. Now, the goat was used because when you look at the goat of Mendez and how this uh, ties into, we go further back uh, with the Zazzle, because it was such a sacrificial lamb, they believed. And even when you come into Islam, goats are used during the Ids as sacrif sacrifices or sacrificials during their biggest uh, when Ramadan season is over. So there was a spiritual quality um, and naiveness and an aspect of sacrifice that was always connected to the goat, right? Because here, here's the deeper thing. In the mystical schools of alchemy, um, and even when you go back to uh, some of the old occult grimoires, and I know everybody's familiar with Baphomet through Alfonso Levi and all that. It goes even further back than that. Um, it's really encoded in what the Baphomet represents, and this is what I mean. It represents totality, the fusion of the masculine and feminine energy, equilibrium, harmony, um, all of those things that we're trying to obtain on this path really is encoded in the mysteries of the goat. Now, you also have to go into the astrological sign of Capricorn, right? Because that's the, that's the astrological that's connected 
to the goat and not to get into a whole astrology class, but if you understand some of the characteristics of the astrological of Capricorn. Now I say all that to say, because a lot of it is symbolic. So when you're reading, when you're reading the Bible and you reading the story, if you're looking at it, literally say they use the goat and we believe all those stories, literally a lot of it was symbolic. Now, if you believe when you're reading that story, that this was a literal story that actually happened, it's going to be hard to understand why the goat and what the goat represented. Um, there's a class I do on my Patreon that we're in the middle of a series. It's called Esoterical Occult Bible Study. And I break down in there all the symbolicism because the Bible basically is an occult, esoterical book. There's an outer meaning and there's an inner meaning. It's very symbolic. And when you study the Bible from an esoterical or occult perspective, it, it uncovers really, you, you see the origin of where all this comes from and you see what it represented. And it's, it takes on a different meaning. But when you look at it literally from a religious perspective through the eyes of Judaism and Christianity, you're going to get lost. So looking at it from a literal perspective, you're not going to really be able to make sense of it. But when you tie it into the astrological, you tie it into the Capricorn, the goat of Mendez and what the goat represents. Right. It's not a coincidence when the writers put these stories together that they chose the goat. Now, here's another thing, for an example, to tie into that. In the book of Job, which most people don't realize, it mentions uh, two, two type of, well, one animal that's myth mythological, and it mentions another character, another type of creature, half man, half human. And I always pose this question to people who believe that the Bible is literal. It mentions satires, right? If you know what a satir is to listeners, it's uh, in, in, in the mythology, it's a man who has the front portion of a body and has the body almost of like a four-legged horse, right? It mentions them as being real in the book of Job. And it also mentions unicorns, right? So the question would be, and I'm bringing that up in parallel to the goat, um, why the unicorn? Why did it choose half animal, half man? If you read the story, they chose it for a reason because it represents a symbolicism of the nature, the beast nature of man and the mortal nature of man. Just like it mentions in Genesis, the, Baham, the behemoth, the beast of the field, right? It, it talks about this fictitious beast that you really can't classify. And what that, what that beast of the field it was talking about was us humans. And really what it's referring to is we too are part of the animal, animal kingdom. We're just more of an intelligent animal. So long story short, the goat on the surface, literally, it really doesn't make any sense because you can't make no sense of it. It would just appear that goats are always known as these very petty, uh, naive uh, animals that are not too smart, not too intelligent. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. um, when you look into the deeper meanings, um, and it's not a coincidence, we see this pop up later in the occult that the goat of Mendez, which is infused on the pentagram um, that everybody's so familiar with is such a popular symbol and it's become so huge in the occult world over the years, um, why that is imposed on the five points, right? Mm -hmm. And like I say, the, the understanding of the goat, why they chose the goat is infused in understanding the hidden meaning of the Baphomet symbol. Go back and look at that further when, again, it's not a coincidence, you know, when you look at the basics, and then I, I know I know we're kind of going on a little long about this. Um, when you look at what the Baphomet represents, it has the go face of a man. It has 
the female breast, which represents androgyny. It represents the infusion of the divine masculine and feminine, right? You see all the four elements. Uh, you see the scales in the abdomen of Baphomet, which represents uh, the water element. You see the pineal activated, you know, with the fire element. You see the pineal awakened, right? In the, in the, in the crown, you see the as above, so below, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things that were infused in the symbol of the goat and in the symbol of the Baphomet itself, really, if you really study uh, and you do work with Azazel, there's a connection with both of them. Because in essence, working with Azazel, you're trying to obtain harmony in all aspects of your life. You're infusing light and darkness, right? And this is where the old saying comes, one must go into the darkness to do the work of the light. Because in the darkness is where you seek intellect. And Azazel is the one that guides the initiate on the isolated path of consciousness, as some may know through working with Set. But that goes back, uh, you know, or connects to anybody that's taking a isolated path. Because when you isolate yourself from something, you're separating yourself, again, from all the mainstream things. You're, you're saying, I'm giving those things up. I know there's more out there. So there's a connection with the goat of Mendez, Azazel, the goat itself. But when you look at the literal Hebrew story, there's no real parallel there. You can look at it. You can't really find on the surface a general reasoning for that. Now, there's theories. They give it because, again, it was used in sacrificial rites, uh, you know, across the board. But other than that, I would look in more esoterical uh, symbolicism of the goat and how that's connected to Azazel. To me, that is more important if you're studying this path. Okay. All right. Well, um, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna uh, quote a little Bible uh, verse for a second here, because <laughs> yes. it's relevant. When Jesus said, "Those with ears, let them hear," you know, like right. it, remi it reminds me of um, the differences between looking at something from a literal point Correct. and then like an esoteric point. An esoteric goes much deeper, which could be Correct. the definition of gnosis. You know, Correct. Uh, now, yeah. now it's funny you bring that up. Now look at look at the look at the swine for an example, right? Christians eat. Uh, look, I don't care if you eat pork, or what you eat, but, but I want to bring a parallel to show you the literalness yeah. and what you're just saying. There's a yes. Now, I always ask Christians, do you eat pork? You know, so, yeah, yeah. It's not what, you know, they'll use uh, in the letters of Paul. It's not what goes in the in the body. It's what comes out. Yeah. Of the body. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. OK. Yeah. So I said, OK, but Jesus is your example. Yes. Well, if you've read the story where remember when Jesus was removing demons, there's a story in the Bible where he cast it into swine and the swine went crazy and jumped off the cliff and they killed themselves. So I always ask, because I do this to people who think things are literal, but it's convenient. I'll say that I've said this many times over the years to Christians. I say, well, you're familiar with that story where Jesus casting demons into the swine. So what does that tell you what Jesus thought about the pig or the swine? And why would you eat it? Now, all of a sudden, the Bible's not literal no more. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, no, no, no. You see, brother. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> See, this is my thing. You can't pick and choose. You either take it literal or you take it allegorical. You can't have both. Yeah. You know, you just, it doesn't work like that. Now, you can look at some of it literal to a degree, but you need to understand the allegorical and the esoterical aspect, like mm -hmm. you just said. And that's the problem. It's convenient to people as soon as you present something to them. And then all of a sudden, when you say something like that, they go, oh, no, wait. See, you don't understand. That just doesn't work like that. Because now when you look at the swine, if we looked at that literal, we would have to say, oh, the swine all across the board is a negative thing. 
Right, Period. right. Uh, yes. This pork is delicious, my brother. Exactly. Well, they ain't, they, ain't, they ain't giving up that pork, man. You know, you know that, and I know that. They're not giving up that pork, bro. No, man. They're going to eat that shit to the... Exactly, man. <laughs> Pig's knuckles, pig feet. Yeah, yeah. You know how that goes. They ain't stopping you. I don't mean it. I mean, I'm not, we're not hating on anybody who eats pork out there. But oh, no, no, no. Definitely not. Just have us have a little fun. Yeah. All right. Well, that's cool. Um, that actually elucidates a whole lot of the a lot of the points I was making, though. And you have me thinking about some other some other um, pantheons and some other cultures for a moment with the goat symbolism, mm -hmm. because I see the goat symbolism also in the Hellenistic pantheon with uh, gods like Pan. Yes, you know uh, who's also a very wild, kind of unpredictable kind of uh, mm -hmm. energy mm -hmm. as well. And I'm sure right. there's some other ones out there. I'm not thinking of off, off the top of my head, but that's yes. what's going to come to me. It's like Pan. Pan, most definitely. And yeah. Pan, uh, another movie, just to throw out for reference, the one that came out a few years ago, mm -hmm. uh, Pan, I don't know if you guys remember, it was a couple years ago, I think it was like 16, 17. Uh, it's, it's really Peter Pan. Uh, oh, okay. I haven't seen yeah. that. Yeah, it, Peter Pan comes from, it's, it's, it's Pan. And they tie that last Peter Pan movie into the god Pan. Uh -huh. um, and really, that's where it comes from. Peter Pan is the watered down, uh, uh, commercialized version of uh, Pan. It's interesting because if anybody is familiar with the, uh, because I was initiated also in the Order Templar Orientis, if anybody's ever familiar with the Gnostic Mass of OTO, towards the end of the Gnostic Mass, and there's two, there's two Gnostic Masses, there's Masses for members, and then there's public Masses for anybody that wants to attend. Uh, but in those Gnostic masses, um, towards the end of the mass, uh, there is a calling of certain deities. And I found it interesting that Pan is mentioned uh, when I first came across that in years ago um, in, in the Gnostic mass. Right. Um, now, again, you see that, like you say, you point out why the connection again, oh, you know, with the goal. You see what I'm yeah. saying? Because all the things we were just talking about uh you need to go look into that you know further but here's the deal long story short mm -hmm. go back to what i said in the very beginning a goat it represents who we are too as humans and our human nature and our divine nature simultaneously because we have those divine qualities in us like the goat it wants to rule and look down upon its subjects so it can be in control but it is also finds itself slipping falling into stupidity and ignorance, making mistakes, that basically describes our life. Same thing with us. We always, always do diligently. We're always struggling and fighting through life to get things right. You know, and that's why we come on this path. We too are the goal. We, we, we have a certain level of divine intelligence, but we don't use it to its full capacity, right? So like you bring up Pan, right? Pan also has root in the word pandemonium, right? And pandemonium really is just another, when, when something people say, oh man, it was complete pandemonium. It's just another word describing chaotic state. Exactly. So Pan, exactly. Pan represents the primordial chaos that all things emerge from because there's no order to Pan. Pan represents again also that, what people would call rebellious part of our nature. And it's not rebellious in a bad way. It just simply means that it's an individual that takes on a non-conformist approach to their spirituality. They're not gonna be 
dictated to or governed by these man-made rules and regulations like religions do. They tell you what you can eat, what you can't eat, what you can do, what you can't do. Dress like this. Don't, you can't do that. You can't wear this. You can't do this. Follow these holidays. Got to do these customs and rights. If you don't do all this, then you're not going to get the great reward at the end. Pan, now now the, the, the mythology of Pan obviously comes, It's not. it doesn't go back as far as some of these other mythologies because when we get into some of these other uh, grimoires and mythologies that maybe go back a couple thousand years, um, it was connected to all, it, it, there's a connection there to all of the ones that preceded it. And you'll find that out a lot on this path where you can synchronize and connect uh, a lot of these paths. So Pan is another representation of all the stuff that we're talking about. Um, and again, you gotta remember, you gotta take those archetypes and you got to connect with it on your own level and, and make it work and how you can utilize it for yourself. You know? Okay, great. All right. So, um, okay. So like that really does connect a lot of what we're talking about too. So pan, so the pan energy, if I can call it a pan energy or mm -hmm. pan current, uh, is definitely connected to, to Azazel and, 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 a, and a big yes. way. Yes. Okay. Yes. And we were talking about the Gnostic mask because been to many of those yes um, you have me think yeah, many of those you have me thinking about um the star ruby the star mm -hmm. ruby uh ritual you know like mm -hmm. at the end of the star. i don't know if it, some of you may not be familiar it's a banishing ritual in thelema and yes uh, and, at the, and at the end you you invoke the energy or wild pan basically you know for, yes for that, yeah yes so, the ruby star if i could real quick on that mm -hmm. um this guy get a lot of questions on this now in the lesser paths of magic. Now I consider, and I made a lot of good friends uh, in OTO order, and you'll find in order Templi Orientis, people come from all backgrounds of the occult. I mean, you got mm -hmm. uh, witches, uh, pagans, uh, you got some, you know, who you would may classify as left-hand path practitioners. Uh, but I, I consider now, with all due respect, uh, I would don't consider technically uh, Crowley, Thelema, or OTO, what we would call left-hand path. Mm -hmm. uh, I do consider it um, uh, in between what, what some would call, and I hate to use these titles, white magic and black magic. It's more gray cider, high magic, yeah, yeah, as they yeah. call it. Uh, the problem as I started to grow, where I kind of outgrew the OTO, uh, there was still a lot of Hebrew mysticism and religion still connected to it. And again, if, if that's your thing, I'm not knocking anybody uh, that studies the Lima, because there's a lot of good things in the Lima, the Lima when you look at it. Uh, and there was a lot of good uh, teachings, regardless of your perspective on Crowley. I mean, you got to separate the personal man's life. Yes, he had some crazy shit that went on. But I, I always tell people like this. Some people can't get past that. I say, look, let's look at R. Kelly, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You got to keep it real with you. It, regardless of your perspective of R. Kelly, if you 100% believe, I laugh when people go, oh, man, I can't stand R. Kelly now. I'll never listen to his music again. His music's good. Thank you. It doesn't change <laughs> the fact. Whether, and I'm not saying if he did that, I'm not condoning yeah. what he did or did not do. I just want to make that clear. But you got to learn to separate. It doesn't change the fact. You cannot say the man isn't talented. He can't sing and he didn't make good music. I say that to say we have a hard time in our studies. And it's the same thing with Crowley. You have to learn to separate the message from the messenger. You understand that? Mm -hmm. Did Crowley do when you read his life story? Was he a bit troubled or disturbed? Did he do some crazy things? Most definitely. But 
in that craziness of what we're labeling crazy, there was some intelligence that emerged, and he there was a lot really of intelligence. In a lot of intelligence. That's that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Now, you may not agree with that. Certain people might hear that and go, "You can't be caught up in your personal dislikes and likes. You got to learn to separate the message from the messenger." Uh, but I say that with uh, OTO, I just found with the banishing rituals is kind of what I wanted to finish with. Uh, they also do the lesser banishing ritual, the pentagram. And I'm not comfortable with it because it deals with invoking archangels, Raphael. Too Hebrew before you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, and All good, man. I, I teach yeah. that, listen, when you're working uh, the dark path, the path of the occult, left-hand path, we're not trying to banish or destroy any energy. We, that's not what we do. We do more of this on this path, like for an example, uh, an Egyptian Heka, we do something called casting the hermetic circle. And really what you're doing is when you do the full hermetic circle, you're casting to eight points, really, which is the eight pointed star of chaos. And in that in that uh, ritual, you're invoking the, what they call the triad of light, which represents uh, uh, Osiris, uh, Isis or Aset, uh, and Heru or Horus. And then the triad of darkness, which represents Ampu, Anubis, uh, Set, or Satuk and Sekhmet. And that represents calling upon the forces of light and darkness simultaneously for the harmony. And what you're doing is then you sweep the above and below, like in a lot of magical traditions, and you lock that energy in your space. And so you're, you're calling the chaotic energy and you're keeping it locked in your space. And then it's the magician's job to work with that energy as need be and to understand because when you're, my thing is, how do you banish anything if you're dealing with energy? Where does it go? Do you understand? You can't banish, energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be manipulated. You understand? That's what energy is. You can't destroy energy. You can manipulate it because somebody needs to explain to me scientifically how you destroy energy. Now, when you get caught in this man, God, follower thing, that's where that comes from. So I'm gonna do a ritual and people say, well, I do that to banish negative forces and spirits. So now you go into the ritual already defeated because you're saying as a magician or a black adept, there are forces outside of myself that I'm inferior to. Then you can't effectively work magic if you don't have the confidence and the understanding that what somebody might label as negative, bad, disagreeable or evil is just perception because that same thing that somebody classifies as negative, bad, or disagreeable or evil, uh, another person could have a perspective and show you the opposite of that, right? And now you got to get into the seven hermetic principles, uh, the degree of polarity, the degree of vibration, right? Uh, all things come from the same source, but they manifest in varying degrees of vibration. That's it. And that's really what perception is. I perceive something one way, we, we, we could be talking about one topic and we could have 15 different perspectives on it based on the way people perceive it. So I don't I don't now I don't do any banishing. I'm not saying, look, if you're listening and you do and, and you, you know, you get something out of it. I don't tell anybody to stop doing anything that they get results. But I just don't know how you banish energy and I don't know how you go into a work. And I can see if you're in a in one of those more. Uh, lesser uh, uh, systems of magic philosophy, I, it's part of it. And so I'm not talking about the ones that may not know, uh, but to me, somebody who's on the left left-hand path and a cult, uh, an occultist slash uh, dark sorcerer, dark 
uh, magic practitioner. I just don't see how you do it. And that's just my opinion. Um, so I don't do the banishing, the Ruby star, any of that. I mean, it's nice, but yeah, I'll mess with it. It makes sense. Though. It makes sense because like, uh, for me personally, like when I, when I got into this work, um, I came into it and I still do Qigong, uh, every daily, but I good. came into it from a, from a Qigong background, martial arts background. Mm-hmm. And, uh, even, even in that training, we're not, we're not told, I mean, the difference between, um, I'll cut back to the Zalzas. I'm just going to throw this real quick. No, no, no. Go ahead. Um, and and sort of new age practices because I have body work, massage training, and stuff. You know, and sure. being in that being in that field, going into that field from my background, I would get a lot of uh, encounter a lot of new age people that are like, okay, we're gonna <laughs> take in the light and dispel the dark and put the dark out. But in Qigong, you don't you don't do that. No. You transmute the energy. Thank you. You transmute Thank it you. alchemically. Correct. That's what you do, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a great point because you basically described what, if you if you had to sum up in a nutshell, in a brief sentence, mm-hmm. what's the purpose of being on the left-hand path? You just basically described it in a nutshell. That's exactly what we do. We transmit with some, we, trans, we, we, we transform what some would describe, as you just described, uh, something that might be negative per, on a personal level dark or what somebody would describe as being evil. We don't look at it like that. We take that because that primal energy, regardless if one is classifying it positive or negative, serves a purpose. It serves a purpose, not so much collectively, that comes afterwards, but the individual needs to make order. When we say you have to make order out of your personal chaos, you basically just described it. Because even in Qigong, right, you're doing Qigong to work on your spirit, right? You're doing Qigong to really go in internally to understand, you know, all different aspects of yourself, not only just in relation to yourself, in relation to nature, creation, and, and also how it ties into uh, perfecting your character, right? Because there's yeah. disciplines that Qigong is supposed to teach you, right? There's no different. We do the same thing on this path. Mm-hmm. We we see how people get this. Some people I'm talking about people that may not be familiar with the path. They think we don't deal with spiritual disciplines. They think we don't work with systems of meditation, working with your chakras, uh, all these spirits. I found we we're more disciplined in that nature, per se, than you, as you describe some of these new age paths. Because mm-hmm. I, I laugh because you know how many times over the years, periodically I get emailed. Do you guys do meditation and stuff like that? And I laugh. And I'm like, meditation is a critical part of this path, along with visualization skills. Mm-hmm. It's it's huge. And if you don't have good visualization abilities uh, on this path with good focus, concentration and meditation, it's tough to do ritual work. It just doesn't work. Exactly. You know, but you bring, yeah, you bring up a good point. But yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad you brought that up, though. So I was going to ask you a couple more questions before we get into the um the consciousness part of it, like the Lucifer and the Lucifer okay. and the Zalzal sure. consciousness. But I want to ask you um, a little bit, because going back to some things you said earlier, we're, we're, we're kind of talking about uh, the, some of the Abrahamic stuff. Now, right. it's interesting because the name and word of Zazel is tied to, you know, it's tied to some Hebrew things. Sure. And we're looking at all these uh, old grimoires. A lot of them were written by Christians and, uh, and Jews. Correct. So somebody coming into this path and, you know, that are, uh, I, I meet a lot of people that come onto this path and they're really, really turned off from anything kind of Abrahamic 
uh, related. Correct. Al although the dark symbolism, the, the outward dark symbolism of uh, Azazel, Lucifer will draw someone in, though. Correct. Now, uh, if somebody, uh, have you ever had anybody like come in, come involved, uh, excuse me, come get involved in the path and want to learn? Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, what sources do, am I going to get into for uh, for Azazel? Because right. everything's kind of Hebrew related, and there's like, yes. like, not like, like yes. how, do they, how do they kind of go about? Yes, good question. Yes, it does happen. Uh, okay. uh, definitely does happen. And, and again, that's why when I was saying earlier, you have to first of all when you come in, uh, especially let's say in this case because we're talking about Azazel, you have to try to the best of your ability to put aside all the preconceived notions and the influences, like you say, the people that get influenced with the Abrahamic, right? Uh, you can go back to the Enochian, right? But then I take it, I would take it a step further. I mentioned, for an example, a good book or a good source is study a little more history of the Yazidi culture. Now, people on the surface get confused. If you don't know who the Yazidis are, people may be listening. Some might refer to them today, modern day terms as the Kurds, right? And the Kurds, as we know, have always been at war with Iraq uh, or the people of Iraq and some because they, where they branch out, Iran, Turkey, because they've scattered in those regions. But the mainstream fundamental Islamic people consider them devil worshipers. They're literally called devil worshipers um, because I, I want to be clear on this, because in their text, and I'll tell you why I'm saying all this, in their text, they believed in the creation story. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying what I'm about to tell you that it's 100% fact and I believe it, but it gives a, it shines a different perspective and, and you got to open up your perspective. They believe that this so-called God of creation uh, came, created this planet, left, and left a being in charge to rule and govern the planet, which was who we call the devil or Satan, Melik Taus, the peacock angel. And it sheds light because in Algeria, the black book, Satan, Lucifer, Iblis, or, or Melik Taus by his different titles is not considered this character that we know in Christianity as the devil. He was considered, because if you read also, and, and again, I'm getting to my point, you know me, I have to jump around. When you read also the story of Iblis, Right. And they talk about that same story in the Quran where Iblis or the devil refused to bow down and make obeisance to the creation of Adam because he felt he was created from fire and he was created from the dust of the ground. And he felt he was superior. Well, that same story is, is made reference to in Algeria with the black book. And the difference is in the Quran, that story is considered was a bad thing that Iblis didn't obey. And it says he was cast out of the heavens, which you can also find that story in the book of Revelations in the 12th chapter, right? Now, when you read the story in the black book, it was a test for the peacock angel. And that was what he was supposed to respond. He was superior. He was not supposed to bow down and make obeisance. So I'm, I'm pointing that out because in those same Abrahamic and religious stories that people get trapped into in the Bible need to reference and refer other cultures one, just for a different perspective. So that story in Algeria, the black book, was a test for the or Iblis or Melik Taus, the different titles. He's referred to as the peacock angel in there. And he was not supposed to bow down. He passed the test. And he was considered the one who was put here in that story to have rulership over this planet and teach and rule the people. 
right? I'm just, it's symbolic. I don't believe that it's a literal story, but I'm saying here is a culture that uses the same concepts in the Abrahamic traditions of Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, but is giving you the complete opposite of it. And this is why today they are labeled devil worshipers. Um, there's a good book. It's called The Yazidi, The Devil Worshippers by uh, uh, Joseph something. I can't think of. Uh, I can grab the book if you want. But it's called it's called The Yazidis, The Devil Worshippers. That's the book I would suggest people okay. get. And it's got a copy. Um, Joseph is the uh, author's last name. I can't think of his first name. But if you type it in, The Yazidis, The Devil Worshippers on Amazon, it comes right up. Um, and it has that it has their ancient text, their 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 rights and their their system. Now, on the surface, you'd look at these people and you would think they were Islamic because they wear some of the Islamic regalia. But what I'm trying to say is they're the deity that they look at as the most high is Melitaus or Lucifer or Satan, whereas in Islam, Shaitan or the devil or Iblis is like that's the most, you know, accursed thing you could do. The jinn, you can't. So here we have two cultures parallel to each other, where in one culture, God and the devil, God or Allah is considered the highest deity. And shaitan, iblis, and the jinn are considered the anti-opposite of that evil. But it's the reverse in the Yazidi culture, right? So where people come in, I say all that to say, this is where people get influenced. You're, first of all, you're going to come on this path. You're not going to run into... You're not going to be able to come on this path and not run into some aspect of its connection with the Abrahamic traditions. It's possible. What's right. not impossible, though, is how you connect and work with it through your understanding. Because once you do the research and you leave the Abrahamic traditions and you go back even further when you study it, let's just say, per se, uh, if you go back to beings like Samael, right, you can connect the angel of death, Samael. Right. Also to some of those traditions. But you can also because some say Samael and Melik Taus were, were similar manifestations. Right. Where can you go back and trace their origins? Right. When you leave the Abrahamic traditions. So that's kind of going to lead me to segue into what I had here. Mm -hmm. uh, well, hold on. Let me pull that up. Some of yeah, my. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So. Azazel is a figure who has captured the imagination for the one time, for, uh, for, for a long time. On one hand, we have the biblical tale of the Israelites in Leviticus chapter 16 conducting the scapegoat, right, that we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. A scapegoat for Azazel was sent into the desert and was meant to symbolize the removal of people's sins, right? And that's that right we were talking about earlier. In this context, the interpretation leans more to the Azazel reference as an act of symbolically removing the sin of the people. So it's symbolic. I want to, I want to touch on that first. So people that get caught up in these Abraham traditions, if you understand what we were talking about earlier, the, the symbolicisms and the origins of where these come from, it would remove the problem because see, it's people have problem. It's the Abraham faith and the religion that they have a problem with and rightfully so because it's stupidity, but bypass that and look at what the story represents. That's number one. Now, I want to, I want to go on. Uh, the fallen angel aspect, which appears in the book of giants, which is in the Enochian literature. So now the next question is, this is where you can leave the Abrahamic faiths. 
who was Enoch in the Bible and who, because remember, you're reading characters in the Bible that come from cultures that predated Abraham. Let's start there, right? Prior, before he was given the name Abraham prior to the Bible, it was Abram, right? When you read the story of Abraham, you have to go back to a lot of the biblical characters go back to Egyptian and ancient Sumerian characters that predated it, right? Some say, uh, when you do the research and the synchronization for say with Enoch, uh, Enoch was the builder of the great pyramids in ancient Egypt. Um, and when you read those stories, now you gotta do the research to see this and come to your own, own conclusion. Uh, just like they say Solomon, right? Solomon mm -hmm. was parallel to uh, Ramses. When you look at Ramses, how do you know there's some truth to this? You say, what are you talking about? That sounds confusing. I'm, I'm, I'm totally lost. Ask yourself this. You see, you have to use the Abrahamic faith, Bible and tradition. You have to use the Bible to tear up the Bible to give you a better understanding. That's why I'm always on it like that. And that's why, though, it might come off funny. Ask yourself this. The story of <laughs> if you only got to do is basic research. The story of Moses speaking to Pharaoh Ramses is historically impossible. Why? Why do I say that? Look at the timeline of ancient Egypt of Pharaoh Ramses the first. Right. And look at the timeline of Moses. There's no way both of them could have been alive at that same time. And there's no way Moses could have been talking to Pharaoh Ramses. Why am I saying all this? Because this is how you break the stupidity of being influenced by this mythology. Because remember, you're reading a conglomeration of stories of cultures that predated it. The first seven chapters of your Bible is nothing but the uh, Sumerian Gilgamesh epics and the story of creation. Uh, Zachariah Stitchin talked about it. Um, um, Dr. Delbert Blair talked about it. Many people have made references in parallel. Now, again, I got to take you through this because so it makes sense. When was the Bible and the, the what we know as the Torah compiled and put together? Well, when you read the story of Ezra coming back into Jerusalem to rebuild Solomon's temple after the first destruction, we know Solomon's temple is real because it's there, right? Well, that was the story of when they left being in captivity in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. Now, here's the deep thing. Not everybody left with Ezra, according to the story, because the Babylonian captivity wasn't a slavery like they described. A lot of, lot of the so-called ancient Hebrews stayed there because they had a good life there. They didn't want to leave. They weren't treated and abused like what we think and how they describe it. So a lot of them stayed there because they had a good, successful, productive life there. And those that decided they wanted to go back into Jerusalem with Ezra, and when you read the book of Ezra, everything I'm telling you there is in that story, right? And this is historic. See, the, the way it gets confusing is there's some historical data in those books, and then there's fic fiction and mythology. You've got to be intelligent enough to decipher and understand the allegorical and the literal parts of those books. Because you're reading a book that has other cultures, history infused in it. You're reading some historical data that's factual, and then you're reading a lot of esoterical and occult spirituality and mythology. If you, if you don't read it like that, you'll get eaten up, swallowed and confused. So they come back into Jerusalem. That's when what we know as the first ancient manuscripts of the Torah were put together. Because remember when they were in captivity in Babylon, they got the six pointed star can be found in the Babylonian temples. That's where they got that six pointed star. It's not a Judaic star, it's a Babylonian star. Go do your research. And the story of cre creation that's on the walls in the Babylonian temples, that's where they got the story of the seven days of creation, 
the number seven. Uh, it's all it's all symbolic because there's that there's an importance people. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> but I'm saying we're reading we're reading Sumerian, Egyptian, Babylonian history that predated what we know as Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So when these Torahs were first put together during that time period, this is when what we know as the Bible. So when we're talking about Abrahamic faith, we have to understand all those biblical characters were not real people. So this is how you disseminate and remove the influence. And now you see, you go, okay, when we disseminate and break that down, now we have to put into play. So where does that leave Azazel and his origins? You see what I'm saying? You can't, my whole point is you can't put a time frame. So if you're coming in and going, what's the historical uh, origins and reference points of uh, Azazel outside of, of the Abrahamic traditions? Well, I just showed you, it goes outside of that. Now, if you want the literalness of the very point of origin of beginning, then you're not on this path for the right reasons. Because mm -hmm. I can I can make that claim with somebody who goes, oh, well, Egyptian civilization was first. I can debunk that. People say it was the first great civilized civilization. What do you mean by that? Well, there were people that occupied the Nile region prior before there were pyramids. But prior before what we're calling ancient Egyptian culture now, they were called the Neolithics. Go look them up. You, you probably know them as the Pygmies and the Watusi tribes, right? Mm -hmm. How come nobody talks about the primitive African tribes that existed before Egypt? People connect with Egypt because Egypt represents royalty, all the great things. Right. Kings, right. You, know, you know what I'm saying? They're not so, savages. <laughs> well, even the primitives weren't. You've got to be careful with that too, but even the primitives weren't savages. Right, because really, when you look at Patar or Pat mm -hmm. or Tar, who's a Ptah, the Egyptian deity, when you look at Bess, right, mm -hmm. and you go into what's known as Aswan, Upper Nubia, and Sudan, remember these were pygmy, dwarf type of deities. Because really, what we're calling Egyptian culture today, and Dr. Ben talked about this, where it was basically those Nubian dynasties, because Nubia. And the Nubian dynasties is how all of what we're calling Egyptian culture manifested. And there's more pyramids, by the way, in New in in in, yeah. in Aswan, Sudan, and and Nubia, or what we call Nubia, than there is in Egypt. We have to know. See, knowing this, this is to me knowing this information, you'll go, okay. So now that that whole influence of Abrahamic traditions comes from cultures that predated it. And now we have to again, we have to ask ourselves. So. Something I want to go into here. Uh, where is it? There was a key point. Okay, here, here. The story in Genesis chapter six, verse four. Watch this. And this is what I always point out. Well, in Genesis chapter six, verse four, it talks about there were giants in the earth in those days, right? The Hebrew word you find is Nephilim, right? This is connected to his asshole. And it talks about that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they were beautiful to them. And they came down into the daughters of men and conceived and had children, right? It's right there in your Bible. All you gotta do is go read it. So the question we have to ask ourselves is who were these sons of God or the aliens or giants that they describe in the earth? Because it doesn't give you a point of reference or origin. And it says they had sex with mortal women and they produced children with these women. So now we have a breed of half human and according to, according to the Bible, 
have gods. Now, here's the here's part of the answer to that question. <laughs> the story of Cain and Abel, which I always love this, which is a replica of the story. Any, any story with a warring brother is the same story, just repeated over and over again. It's the story, Cain and Abel is the story of uh, Horus and Set or Osiris or Usir and Set. It's the story of Enkian and Leel. Uh, any, any, any tradition or spiritual path that talks about the story of the two warring brothers rising up against each other at odds and fighting is a symbolic story of how we battle with our willpower. And what the ancients always did was they externalized what they were trying to explain internally. So when you're reading the story of Cain and Abel, when you're reading the story of Set and Heru, it's the battle of the lower self versus the higher self. There's, there's a whole rite in Egyptian Heka on Set Heru, right? There's a symbol of Set Heru. You've probably seen this image. It's one body with the head of Set facing one way and Heru or Horus facing the other way. What does that mean? What does that represent? It represents what one would call bad and good, darkness and light. And in, in, in actuality, Set represents the higher self, contrary to belief where Heru or Horus represents the lower or the weaker self. So it's a story that's symbolic of you battling your weaker part of your nature, whereas the higher self or the more divine intelligent self is always trying to overcome. That's the rebellious part, the azazel part, because what everybody's always labeling as bad, negative, or evil is actually the higher, more intelligent aspect of your nature. So. When you read the Cain and Abel story, it says after Cain rose up and slew his brother Abel because of that stupidity of not giving just as good as an offering. Here we go with the stupidity. And he gets upset and he kills his brother. And then, mind you, God says, what have you done? Just like God's walking in the cool of day in the garden. He don't know where Adam and Eve is. So now we're not dealing with an all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God because he don't even know where these people are in a place that he created, Right makes no sense at all. He says, what have you done? Where's your brother? Now, shouldn't he know? Number one, just use common sense. But remember when Cain is banished to the land of Nod or Nud or Nude, right? It's where they get the word Nude from, by the way. Um, he's marked, right? And some trace the origin. Spiritually, people don't understand the origin of the swastika and the Ankh come from that symbol or mark, which I guess into something else. And he's marked with this mark and he's told he's marked with this mark because that's so if anybody comes upon him, they're not to kill him or touch him, according to the story. Well, here's the problem. According to the Bible story, this is just how you debunk it and just remove the nonsense. According to at that point of you reading the Bible, the only people that are on the earth, according to the biblical story at that time, are Adam, Eve, Cain and Abel and Labuda the two twin sisters, because they had two twin sisters. So they were, those were the only people on earth. Who were the people in the land of Nod that Cain had to be marked from not being harmed? The Bible never tells you who they were. Who are those people? So now we have to ask these questions because now we go, what are we really reading here? Now, I'd mentioned to you Genesis chapter six, verse four. Those people in Nod were the giants in the earth that came down. Question is, you need to do your research who were these Nephilians and giants? These were these spirits or demons that we're calling. And again, you need to do your research to come to these conclusions that don't have no time frame, no beginning or no end, right? They left little clues of that too in the Bible where it, it talked about a character called Melchizedek or Melchizedek. 
And it says Jesus was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is referred to as the ancient of days. No beginning, no end, no mother, no father. Mm -hmm. Okay? There's a sign. When you get into now, you have to also go into what people call the Goetia, right? Which is getting into something else. The Goetia wrongly is always attributed to the seals of Solomon and during the time of Solomon, which is wrong. Because there are spirits and demons that are part of the Goetia, such as Blau, right? That you can't, you can that you can't just limit to during Solomonic times. Long story short, because I could be going on about this for hours, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> right. Long story short, my whole point is this: you can get confused. Don't try to get caught up in the history. What I would say is, look at the inconsistencies, and when you do your research and you see. Okay, now I see this makes sense. This is where they got this from. This is what that was influenced on. And when you understand that the Bible was a book written by men that were influenced by cultures that predated it, you'll see where the stories come from. And it doesn't really hold the same significance or weight or influence because now you've debunked it. You've taken it apart. And you see really in essence what you have there is just stories that predate it. <laughs> it doesn't really hold any weight. That's all. I'm I'm only laughing, man, because like sometimes I get uh, I get like hate messages from people about you know mm -hmm. about that I put up, you know, like how blasphemous it is, and it just oh I get it too. Believe me, <laughs> believe me, I've been on a rabbit hole and just <laughs> I've been called I've been called every name in the book, brother, antichrist, and I laugh. I go, I don't believe in Christ, so that title <laughs> that title doesn't apply to me. See, see the game. That's how you debunk it. Somebody goes, oh, that's you're evil. You're going to hell. You're the antichrist. It's as simple as saying, I don't believe in your concept of hell. I don't accept it. I don't embrace it. I don't, in order for me to be an antichrist would mean I accept your concept of Christ. And I don't believe in that mythological concept of Christ. So I couldn't be an antichrist. And here's the deep thing. The word Christ, I always get them with this. This gets them. Really, you really want to piss them off. This really eats away at them. The word Christ is a Greek word from the word Christos, right? And there's nowhere, anywhere in the Bible that Jesus ever referred to himself as a Christian or Christ. He did say in Matthew, beware of those who come in my name saying I am Christ. He wasn't saying people who come saying they are Christ. He said, beware of groups of people who come saying I am Christ. That would be a warning sign that these were the people that were going to try to mislead you. You got to read that correctly. Mm -hmm. But they say that means, no, be careful of people who come saying they are Christ, Jesus. It's not what he said. Go back and read it. He said, beware of those who come saying I am Christ. Why is he saying that? Because the only word you find Christian in the Bible one time and one time only in English, and it's in the book of Acts, chapter 26. And it was used as a mockery when the Christian disciples were in Syria evangelizing. They, they use it as a title of insult. Look at the Christians or the Christos, the, the followers of right. who they termed Christ. It was a mockery. So I always say to Christians, and I just do this when I got, you know, it's, just, it's, it's a funny thing to do sometimes. <laughs> I just say to them, why are you using a title that was insulting to Christ? Christ never referred to himself as a Christian. You can't find it anywhere in the Bible. It's not there. No so way. what I'm saying is once the way to not come on this path and get so stuck in that in that argument or or that influence or that issue that the person might have a problem with is to just debunk the mythology of it. And that's it. And then move forward because it's done, too, with, you know, you, you, what, what I'm saying in essence is you're not going to be able to avoid it all together because the influence is there. You said something earlier that 
real quick, I want to go back to. The problem is a lot of the occult grimoires that come out on these topics, you hit it on the head earlier. They're written by Christians who just have an interest in the occult. They're fascinated with it because until the last 10 to 15 years, maybe 20 max, this is when really you started to see books by more authentic left-hand path practitioners. Mm -hmm. When you go back to a lot of these grimoires going back beyond 20 years or more, you hit it on the head. The problem is they were written by Christians who are coming from a monotheistic perspective. I just wanted to throw that in there. No, that's good, man. I'm glad you brought that up. And real quick, I wanted to just, just uh, throw up my own personal testimony real fast. Um, that's one of the things that discouraged me from uh, working with the Goetia back in the day for a, a minute right. because some of the prayers in there were like, oh, yeah, uh, sinful. The sinful, dirty, filthy horror. You know, it's kind of, I'm like, I don't want to confess this shit, man. <laughs> yeah, that's see, that's all. That's all religion. Like, look, yeah. look. You take some of the Goetia. Uh, you can take any of them. Beware. You can take uh, uh, Marbas, right? Marbas is a popular Goetia, Lord of Darkness. He really deals with high powers of mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. You got to connect with it in the more ancient grimoire. Not that religious shit. Uh, you look at Bilal, like how we would look at Bilal. There's two aspects of Bilal that people are not aware of. There's the one symbolically that comes on the black horse, one that comes on the white horse. Bilal represents really to a real practice in a cultist, the same struggle we go through harmonizing within us the forces of light and darkness. There's a destructive aspect of Bilal that can be used for destructive magic. Uh, Bilal can be used for enhancing your, your finances and prosperity, which most people don't know and don't ever tap into. And then there's a more uh, elder mystic or ancient wisdom aspect of Bilal that ties into his white aspect. I don't work with any of that Christian nonsense. That's all, that's all bullshit. Even when you look at Baal or Ashtaroth, right? These are all uh, spirits or demons or archetypes that uncover the hidden aspects and potential of ourselves. You're right, because when you look in some of those grimoires, it's like you're, you're confessing with these. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that in, in like the greater key, man. It's just kind of like it's like it's like uh Lord, I'm the the most high, I am the filthy, the filthiest of the filthy. And you guys, <laughs> I just found it kind of counterproductive to be honest. I mean, people can do well, what they want, but first well, here's the deep thing. You I'm glad you bring that up because now when you when you look at the story of the building of Solomon's temple, right? You see in the Bible and, and even in the Quran and in Islamic mysticism that Solomon used the jinn to assist in the building of Solomon's temple, which is the Goetia or what they're calling in Hebrew mysticism. So now the question I always point out to Christians, if demons and spirits are so bad and evil, why did God give Solomon the ability to work magic sorcery? Because it tells you clearly in those books, he used those spirits that were calling the Goetias or the jinns in, 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 in Islamic mysticism to assist in the building of the most, one of the most sacred relics in the Islamic, Judaic, and Christian faith, right? Here's the other thing you gotta ask yourself, where does this whole concept of monogamy and marriage come from? Because every prophet in the Bible was a straight pimp. They had multiple wives. <laughs> you think about it. You no, go, you're right, you're right. I mean, Solomon- They were pimps. <laughs> Now, now, just now, there's a debate with Jesus. Well, Jesus was a great example. He wasn't married. Well, that's not true. 
I don't know about that, man. <laughs> His texts that have come up to show he did have wives. That's yeah. a whole other story for a whole other time. They call him rabbi. But my thing is, here's the here's the, here's when you look at the esoterical breakdown of what Solomon represented, and I use this all the time. And a lot of the stuff I'm talking about, I teach in that esoterical cult Bible study class. Here's the thing. Solomon, so-called according to the story, could have had anything he wanted, right? He could have asked for all the riches on the planet. What did he ask for? He asked for the knowledge and the wisdom. And then everything else came. That's basically what we need to do on this path. If you seek knowledge of self first and you seek the wisdom and the understanding, you don't see, I don't do, I'm not one of the people that come on this path and need to do magic all the time, love spells and and, and money spells. And you got people that come on. That's why they come on because they have this delusional aspect of what this path is about. If you seek knowledge of self first, I guarantee you whatever money, whatever materialistic things you, you need will be provided for you. Not in a spooky way because you're dealing with the true aspect of yourself. So what happened after that with Solomon? Solomon had, he had hoes all across the world. He had harems of hoes, right? That's fact. <laughs> God loved him and looked at him as the most wisest man on the planet. So now uh, you, you say this to a pet. Well, they go, well, that was during them times. What do you mean yeah. during them times? Oh, so, <laughs> God yeah. so God changes. He, he's not sure how he feels. The times he, are different he, back then, brother. Yeah, you times were, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. So God liked pimps back then, and then he turned anti-pimp at some point. I don't understand it. It just... <laughs> I'm using, why am I throwing all this out there? It is, some of it is very funny. Well, you are actually. Yeah. I'm throwing it out there. This is how you debunk the influence and the psychological effect it has on you because you can't avoid it altogether. It's impossible. We live in a culture, a society, and we live in, in, in a world that to this day is influenced by monotheistic religions. So you got to debunk it and work around it and look at the deeper meanings and don't get caught up and all that, because you could do that with any path. I could say that to somebody who comes in and studies Kemetic and Egyptian history. I can sit there and say the same thing. First of all, you make the mistake by using the word Kemet, right? That's a mistake. I pissed easy, somebody off last week about that shit, bro. Like on it was, ne <laughs> it was like never. Moderator. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> First of all, Kemet is a Hebrew word. So don't sit there and say, oh, you, you, we're, we're leaving religion behind and we're studying Kemet because Kemet is Ham, right? It's the same name used in the Bible for one of the sons of Noah, Ham, and it means black. So they say Kemet is the black land, but that couldn't have been the original language. It was never called Kemet. It was never called Egypt or Egyptos because that's a Greek word, which just means burnt. And the Hyksos, who were the Greeks, or what we know as the last 46 dynasties that came into Egypt, they were called Egyptos because the sun burnt their face. So Egypt and Egyptian is a very modern day term that only goes back a few thousand years. Mm -hmm. And then when you go back further and you look at terms such as Nubia and Al-Ghibulan, there were periods where those titles applied, but you have to go back to Nuba. Dr. Ben broke it down uh, elegantly. His history was right, right on point. Uh, you have to go back to the names that predated it. It was never called Egypt and it was never called Kemet. So somebody could come on and go, well, I'm supposed to be here leaving Christianity, but why there's still a heavy influence okay. in, in, in Egyptian studies. Yeah, it's the man, same I, thing. That's all. No, you're good, man. I, um, 
Are you good on time to explain a couple more? A couple no, more no, points? go ahead. We're good. We're good. All go right, ahead. cool. I want to. I want to uh, kind of throw a sidebar at the Kimma thing real quick because I don't normally go, go on. Uh, throw a brick at it. Throw a brick at it. Yeah, I don't normally go on um, discussion groups, but yeah. I indulged myself last week because um, I know I know a professor, a professor, or a, excuse me, a, a former professor that was recommending me going into this one particular group about um, ancient Egypt, ancient Kemet, whatever you want to call it. And I went on there, and the first thing I see was this meme that that somebody put up. It was a meme of all the main. Um, Egyptian gods on there, right? And it had like their Greek name and it had their Kemetic name. You know, right. like it was like it was like Hermes, Tahuti, Isis, yes. yes. all that stuff. And then it said in the bottom, it says, "Stop calling them by their slave name. <laughs> Use their real name." And and I was like, I had this feeling in my gut. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't say anything about it. And I was like, well, I go, Kim is not the actual name for it. That's correct. And um, and then the moderator just put like a an emoji of a bunch of laughter, and then the other guy underneath was like, "Who taught you this bullshit?" It was like a right. cow emoji and a shit emoji. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like, "All right," and and I don't want to come. Up, I don't like I don't like um, bragging about anything about my skills and stuff. But like I study languages for yeah. So you were able to debunk it, right? I speak Greek, man. I'm not super fluent in it, but I can read it and everything. Right. You know, uh, I can read Hebrew, and um. Uh, I was like, well, uh, it's Hebrew. Kemet's Hebrew. You That's know, it's described, it was describing the soil and everything. And that's it. And, I, and I, it, even even the Greeks ended up using a variation of the word Kemet in their own language, which meant to to bring together because mm-hmm. they were bringing their culture their cultures together. That's and that's all I said. And the guy was just like, he's like, man, that's fuckery, man. You know what you're talking about? <laughs> you know, you need to go back. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, you, you challenge. You bring yeah. a, you bring a point of opposition. That's left-hand path of cult. That's why. Now, now, let me ask you a question. And everything you just said, how no matter how much you're into "quote unquote" ancient Egypt and Kemet, how do you avoid studying Egypt without seeing the influence of Greek philosophy and culture? How you can't? I don't care. You can put a meme up saying "Stop calling them by their slave names," but you'll never be able to avoid Osiris and Isis and Satuk. You can't avoid them names. No. It's gonna be there. That's my whole point. So that yeah. that same methodology or problem would apply to that. You can't you can't avoid uh, ancient Hermeticism. Like you even you even mentioned Hermes, right? Who they say was Thoth or Tahuti, right? Whatever. But the whole point is, there's always going to be that connection or influence there. So it's up to the individual to be able to assimilate and make that distinction and separation, because you just can't. It's no different with a Zazzle. You can't. You're not going to be able to completely as a whole. There's always going to be that connection with the Abrahamic traditions, but the influence on the individual personally is up to that individual. They can remove that 100% if they truly understand it. So it's not going to influence the person per se. And then that's where you, with your understanding, can teach and assist somebody else and give them that clarification like you just did that person in that form. But because you sparked like a whole nother point uh, of opposition to his point because he's been so indoctrinated for so many years, I'm sure, with his what he thinks is correct understanding of it. Uh, so that rather than just go, you know, brother, that's interesting. Let, let, you know, break that down a little more. Yeah, Give me yeah. some. They don't do that because they're programmed to fight. And anything that goes against the norm, I got to I got to just 
smash it down. See, that's not the way you have an intelligent dialogue. Right, right. He could have just simply said, look, I don't I don't really understand. I don't agree with it. I don't understand. Can you expound yeah. more? That's right. All. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. I also forgot to mention that 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 one cat was also he also said um, he goes, um, he says, well, you do know that Hebrew is a Greek language. And I was like, I'm not even going to respond to this guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is it, it, will be, it will be it will be fruitless for me to even continue the dialogue after hearing. Yeah, that. that's yeah. Well, that, yeah, that just goes to show you right there that, that he's got a very, very poor understanding. Yeah. Um, and that really right there, only a fool would make a statement like that. Like, that's uh, completely foolish. This is done. This is done, man. Yeah. Yeah. I would have probably put that to bed, too. I'd have been yeah. like, any, anywho, man, I wanted to kind of uh, dive into a couple more points before we end here, man. I really mm -hmm. appreciate you, appreciate your time tonight, man. Uh, no problem. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Look, you made a, uh, an abundance of great points here, and this is going to yeah. help a lot of people out. So, much Good. appreciated. So, um, now a lot of people that get into this path, they they have a. I know, and this is for, for me as well. This draw to the Luciferian uh, mindset. Now, yeah. can you describe the difference between a Luciferian mindset and a Zazo? Like, are they different consciousness? Are they different masks? One and the same? How would you describe mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. I would say they they are connected. But let me let me clarify this. There's different perspectives perspectives of Luciferian philosophy. We have to understand that first. Um, when you look, really, in essence, what Luciferian philosophy is and what it represents is what uh, you might hear the Greek term apotheosis, self-mastery, self-deification, right? That's the goal. Uh, a Luciferian, or, or, or which go into the term Lucifer, which means light bearer. A Luciferian is always seeking intellect, right? And when you look at the term Lucifer, the light bearer, why is he referred to the light bearer? Because the light bearer, right, represents the knowledge or the intellect he bears or he comes with excuse me with knowledge and intellect but as i said earlier one has to go into the darkness to get that light or knowledge or intellect right so there's another parallel real quick and I'll, I'll, and again it'll, it'll trace back to what you're talking about there's a term called the morning star or son of the morning star in the bible and that title is given to two people in the bible here's the deep thing and this is just food for thought I'm not going to expound on it too deep. I want you guys that are listening to do further research. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, it refers to Lucifer as a son of the morning star or the morning star. In Revelations chapter 22, verse 16, it refers to Jesus as the same title. So now the question is, who is Jesus and Lucifer? Or are they one and the same? I don't know. Uh, just something I want to put out there for people to look into further. Remember, if you go to the churches in the Far East, a lot of the Coptic churches, there's that same image in a lot of those churches today. All you got to do is Google it, where Jesus is sitting perched on the earth in that same Baphomet pose with his finger up and his hand down. And then we see that same pose with Baphomet. What the hell are they trying to tell us? Pull it up. You'll see it. That perched on the earth with the one finger up, one finger down, that's a very popular pose of Jesus in a lot of churches in the Far East. All you got to do is pull it up. You can Google it. It'll come right up. And it's also the most popular pose that's affiliated with Baphomet. They're both given the same titles in the Bible. Not a coincidence. So I say this to say in reference to the whole Lucifer perspective connecting with Az Azazel. There are some Luciferians who look at Lucifer literally as a band, 
that, that exists. That's real. I per se am not in that context on that level. Um, but I don't knock anybody that does. If that's your choice, that's your choice. There's some that look at Lucifer as just an archetype concept. There's some that look at it as an energy that activates certain levels of higher states of consciousness, and it represents those higher states of consciousness. So we have to establish one. When you say Luciferian principles, practices, philosophy, or doctrine, we have to establish first what perspective is that individual coming from in correlation to what we're calling Luciferianism or Luciferian, right? In my opinion, I say all that to say to now answer your question. I do believe they're connected because a Zazzle represents attaining a state of apotheosis or self-mastery. So to the Luciferian that looks at it beyond the literalness, again, there we are back to that. Because um, like, there are some people literally the same way like a Christian looks at the monotheistic God. There are left-hand practitioners who look at Iblis, Satan, Lucifer, literally as a being like that. And some go to the fanatical point of praying just like a monotheistic person would. That exists. I got to keep it real with you. There's a lot. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, know, I know several myself. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's real. So I say as far as the connection, mm -hmm. is it the same or is there that connection there with Azazel? I would have to say it depends on your understanding and how you would apply the Luciferian philosophy. I say it is connected because self-mastery, you know, self-deification, people hear that, oh, my God, that's sick. What is that? How can you be the creator of the, no, we're not saying that. To be a god or a goddess is just simply saying I take responsibility for my actions. I, I am taking hold of my spiritual sovereignty and destiny. I'm being responsible. That's all. See, when people hear you say, oh, I hear on the left-hand path of the cult, you guys say you're gods. See, they're saying that thinking we're saying their concept of God in religion. That's not what we mean. That's not what we're saying. Mm -hmm. We're saying to be a God or a goddess is to be responsible for yourself. That's it. So anybody that takes that approach via the Luciferian philosophy, I don't see how you remove uh, working with Azazel or what Azazel represents from that equation because he represents what, what, what they refer to in some of the stuff we talked about earlier, that rebelliousness, rebelling from what? Conformity, lies, standing on your own, not going with the norm because everybody else goes with the norm. We live in a world where, look, you can't say anything anymore. You, got, you walk on eggshells. You can't even have an opinion no more. They're trying to control everything we do, how we think, how we walk, talk, act, eat. They're trying to even eliminate your understanding of gender. We're going to cancel you for saying this yeah. and saying that. <laughs> Let's cancel culture. Look, just because you take Aunt Jemima off the pancake box or just, <laughs> just because you take down Confederate statues, right? Just because you name, you rename federal buildings that had the names of Confederate leaders, it doesn't mean the history didn't exist. And in my opinion, not because that's, this might sound crazy. That stuff should not be removed. It should be there as a reminder, right? See, people go, oh, we need to take it down because it's insulting. There's two ways to look at that. So now you want to remove it as if it didn't exist. But look at the stupidity of that. You, do you know literally, listen, this is 
Do you know literally they're removing certain cartoons that they're labeling offensive? Do you know the police character in Paw Patrol? You believe this shit? Like, this is where we're at as a society. I'm a Gen Xer too, man. So, like, I mean, I I grew up, we're close to the same age. I grew up, like, with uh, all the shit that was offensive. I grew up watching Married with Children. Archie Bunker, all in the family. I can remember all that stuff, man. Can you, you know? remember? Can you meet? Can you, but but here's the funny thing, yeah. right? But they won't remove George Jefferson, who used to say honky on every episode, right? It wasn't offensive. See, here's the thing: I always ask people, do you know where the word honky comes from? And they go, they don't even know, or or, or cracker. We hear these terms, right? See, we want to cancel. Oh, don't say that. That's the oh, you start. It's real simple. Honkies come from when white men would go into black neighborhoods looking for black prostitutes. They would honk the horn and they would go, the honkies are here. It had nothing to do with the literal color of your skin. But they, they, if you said that today, oh, you can't call nobody a honky. You can't say this. You can't say that. And, and the same thing with crackers. It was the when the slave master cracked the whip. Exactly. So they were called crackers. I lived in the South for a long time, man. You I know mean, that, yeah. <laughs> so we want to act like this stuff don't yeah. exist. There's nothing to be offended by it. We need to know this history so we can now have a, an intelligent dialogue, but we don't want to do that no more. So now you can't say anything about sexuality, gender, race, religion. You have to people, be very careful. People are killing you now for saying if, if, if you say that if you say that there's two genders, man, people will fucking shoot you now. It's, but you see this new law they're trying to pass. They don't want you to give your child a gender until they're a few years old. They want the child to decide the gender. That's fucking ridiculous to me. That is crazy. That's not scientific, though. And it causes confusion. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not, it's not scientific. It's not though. scientific. I, I never heard of that, though. Okay, so I have a question kind of going with the Baphomet thing that ties into this, mm-hmm. what we're talking about. All right, so we know that Baphomet has two genders. You know, it's, Correct. it's like the unification of the yin and the yang. Mm-hmm. And all that. So, would you say that this this gender topic is kind of um, like some people might come? I haven't had anybody approach me approach me with with a statement yet. But what if somebody comes up to you is like, "Well, we're really unifying the genders," you know, just the way Baphomet would want to do. I mean, you have anybody ever say anything like that? I mean, I had no. to get I probably probably will get an email. No, not not as of yet. But okay. I would have a, I would have a simple answer to that. Okay, okay. If you understand. The, the, the real meaning of what Baphomet represents, of what we study on the occult left-hand path. It represents what we call the infernal union. Well, who's, what is the infernal union? And now you have to go into the clip path a bit and understand that. The infernal union represents who we call Samael and Lilith, okay? So in actuality, it represents the harmonization of the divine masculine and the divine feminine. The infernal union, when you combine and infuse what Samael and Lilith represent, you have what Baphomet represents in its totality. There are left-hand path rituals centered around the infernal union. And in that, in those, as you do the ritual, or you walk through the understanding of the ritual, it's always finished up with when you bring those two together, you become a Baphomet, literally in what Baphomet represents. So if somebody came and said that, that's not what it represents when you really go beyond the surface understanding, because see, that's what people are good at doing these days is 
personally interpreting things for what they want it to be, mm -hmm. right? And that's not how it's promoted on the left-hand path. When it, by doing that with gender, it's no different than when a Christian looks in the Bible and any kind, like when COVID first hit, see, it's in the Bible, it's a calamity, it's the end of the world. It's very easy to look at something and twist it to suit your personal agenda is what I'm trying to say. And that's what- For hundreds mean. of years, man, the Bible, yeah. with the Bible unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Look, listen, man. Yeah. We'll be long gone and dead. Look, my yeah, our parents was waiting for Jesus. Our parents' parents was waiting for Jesus. Their parents' parents. Look, the man said, I am leaving. I will be back soon. That shit was over 2,000 years ago. So I'm confused on what soon is, according to religious people, because that, to me, that's not soon, okay? So we have to be careful in a case like you just described. If somebody said that we're trying to unify the genders, to me, that would be somebody twisting the understanding of Baphomet to suit uh, their personal agenda. That's what I'm basically trying okay. to say. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm really glad that we brought this up because it's something I haven't touched on yet. And mm -hmm. I'm really I've, I've actually been th thinking a lot about the the gender thing lately for some for some reason. I don't know. I'm just really because yeah. I was because I'm. Um, my significant other man, she's a millennial. I'm 11 years older than she is, and right. you know, she we're we were talking about the 90s, and she's like, "What was? What do you think was one of one of the best times, best things about the 90s that you can remember?" I was like, "Well, because <laughs> people were a little bit more present with each other." I thought, like, when you go to a, a club, right. a, a bar, a restaurant, whatever, they didn't, we didn't have these. Thank you. Nobody. I'm holding a cell phone. Everybody, I know you can't That's see. Correct. That. But um, so people were like present with you they want to have a good time they, and they didn't get offended by by all the soft shit that, that they do now so it's kind of, of course you know? because, if i could i want to touch on that the phone yeah. see that's become people's virtual reality now and again it's another as we talked about in the very beginning of the show mm -hmm. technology social media platforms can be used for very productive purposes like we're doing now to mm -hmm. facilitate information but it also can be utilize and have detrimental effects. And you hit it on the head when you were just talking about the 90s. The problem is there's no true socializing anymore. The problem is we don't have that connectedness. Look now also what's going on currently with the virus, right? Social distancing, keep your distance, wear a mask, right? All of this is, in my opinion, you don't have to agree with this, that's what I'm saying to the listeners, is all a form of them trying to control every aspect of us, the way we think, talk, eat, uh, the decisions we make, it's all about control. Now, when you go back, like you say, to the time of the 90s, like how many times have you gone out in these times? I've watched families walk into a restaurant, family of five or six. What's the first thing they do when they sit down at the table? And it's supposed to be a family event. You should be so yeah. You remember back in the day when we grew up, I remember when we didn't have no cell phones, we might've had uh, a rotary house phone. My father would say, nobody in phone where we can't be on the phone and nobody could pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. And at those times we would come home from school. We would actually at them times sit down and eat as a family. That stopped. We, we would too. We yeah. would too. We had we to, we had no choice. Yeah, we would come home, do, we would do our homework and then we have like a family family meal. And then mm -hmm. after that, we might hang out and like play a game or something like Thank that. You. We did things like that. Yeah. And if you were lucky to have one TV, yeah. it was one TV in the living room of the family, and everybody had to watch 
the same right, thing. Right, right, right. When this, you go to your room, I go to my room, and everybody right. has TV. We didn't have that shit. Yeah. So what I'm saying is the technology has can, has removed the genuine interaction yeah. with each other as human beings. You just right. you hit it on the head because in the '90s we went out, we went, you know, we went to parties, we went to how, you know, we went to uh, roller skating rinks, we we went to movies, uh, we gathered at places, we, you know, we played sports, we went to the park, you know, there was genuine socializing. Now these kids could sit on the couch for days and don't even have to leave the house because everything is on the phone, the tablet, and the computer, and it's created a, such a disconnectedness. In, in, with human beings, I, we were just talking about this on Wednesday night. You, you know, you say to these kids, "They go outside and play." They don't know what that is. <laughs> like, what is? That? I was telling, I was telling yeah. my girl did that too. I was like, "When was the last time you drove around and saw a bunch of kids playing outside?" They don't do it no more. <laughs> you don't see that. <laughs> no, because they're on Xbox. They're playing computer games. They're on their phone. They're on their tablets. What I'm saying in a nutshell, not to, you know, not to stay on it too long yeah, and draw it out, that's good, man. <laughs> the technology has killed human beings' natural creativeness, right? Think about when we were kids, we could take objects in the house. You know, we used to play superheroes as kids. We used to take a bath towel and a clothespin mm-hmm. tied around our neck. I remember we used to jump off the stoop and pretend like we were Superman and superheroes, right? We used to take the empty toilet paper roll. That would become a trumpet. or I'm just, I, That might sound so like childlike and kid, but no, I'm trying to show you that we used to have this natural creativeness where now it's like high tech, high gadgets. Everything's thinking for you, basically. Thinking for you is what I'm saying. We're so really- this is a really good, uh, this is a good segue though. I, I know we got to finish up here, but like, um, I guess like one last point, in this time that we're living in where everybody's a sheep seems like right now would be a good time to be a goat in a way yes <laughs> think for yourself and take that challenge what that's right yeah all right yes yes because you hit it on the head i use, I use that term a lot sheeple mm-hmm. right here's the bottom line and i guess we can finish on this note here's the bottom line you're gonna understand to put this in a nutshell and it's real simple And I've said this off and on uh, for many years. Okay, you're either predator or prey. It's that simple. This life is predicated on the concept. You're either predator or prey. So now you might hear that and you go, oh, predator. That is such a very vile term. That means somebody who is just no predator is an individual who's a go getter, who takes control and takes charge of their life and is going to take what's rightfully theirs. Where a prey is a person that just sits around, waits to be told what to do, is indoctrinated with fear, believes everything they see on TV, believes everything on the news, believes everything that the government is throwing at all those things. It just you're either predator or prey. If you really want to live by a simple rule, you make the choice. Are you going to be a predator, somebody who takes control of their life or are you going to be a prey, somebody whose life others take advantage of? It's that simple. If I had to put it, the understanding in a simple nutshell. But if I could, real quick, if anybody, if just just if yeah. anybody wants to contact me, I know I didn't do that in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, I was I, I was gonna just say like, where can we find you, man? Yeah, okay. But I knew I, I, just in case yeah. I forgot, we were gonna do that. Um, but yeah, yeah, the the YouTube channel, which I know some have already reached out to me, you know where it is. But just a reminder: Primordial Chaos, two words on YouTube. Primordial Chaos. Uh, the Instagram page is Primordial Chaos Nine, all one word. 
Um, the, the Facebook page is Primordial Chaos, two words. And then last, I would encourage people to check out the Patreon page. Uh, yeah, which is patreon.com. I'm sorry, patreon.com forward slash Beniti, B-A-N-I-T-I. I just want to throw that out there before I forgot. Well, man, I appreciate your brother Beniti coming back on, man. It's always Definitely. a pleasure hearing you, man. I'm, I've been following you for years on YouTube, checking out your live streams and stuff, man. And uh, I like, I really like that last one, especially that you did with the Morrigan. Yes. That's the date that we're doing. So check out his live streams, Primordial Chaos. Check out his, pra- uh, his Patreon, everybody. And if you want to send me some uh, love or hate mail, which I'll probably <laughs> get both, man. Robert, oh, you're going to get both. You're going to get both. Yeah, I, get a little, I, get a, I get a mix of both. You're going to need it. You need it, though. It keeps you sharp. It's all right. I mean, I kind of like it now. You know? it, it, it keeps you sharp. No, but I appreciate you having me back. We'll do this again. You reach all out. Right, we'll cool, man, for we'll sure. definitely do this again. Uh, come up with, with another topic. And yeah. Yeah. All means. right, man. Be I appreciate well. it, brother. Thanks for having me on. No problem. No problem. And everybody, all right. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. See ya. It's good stuff.